0: Hello and welcome back to the Modern Day Rebels podcast. I'm your host, Julia Frank, and every other week I sit down with a modern day rebel who actively challenges the conventional. We reflect on the current systems in place, uncover the newest findings, and shine light on the areas that are still a work in progress. Together we demystify terms and topics you might be familiar with, but never had the chance to dive into and ask the questions we didn't know to ask. In this episode, I sit down with Alice Robertson, chef and founder of Alice Through the Year, where Alice hosts cooking workshops all centered around creating simple, delicious meals using seasonal ingredients and cupboard staples. Throughout this episode, Alice and I talk about what it means to live more seasonally. This episode is jam-packed with practical tips for how we can eat seasonally, sustainably, and still be satisfied while feeling the benefits of adopting a seasonal diet. Alice's love for cooking is so apparent throughout the episode, and I absolutely loved our chat around seasonal living. Let's get right in. Well, welcome, Alice. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. Thank you so much for having me. To start us off, why don't you tell us a little bit about what it is that you do? Sure. So um, I run a
1: seasonal cookery school, uh, which I run from my little cottage um, in the Cotswolds, and I teach various different uh, cooking classes. And they are really based around seasonality, what's in season at the time, a lot of local produce as well, and how we can create simple easy, delicious meals from what's in season at the time, but what you've got in your store cupboard as well. So easy, simple cooking, basically. And it's really aimed at anyone who would like a bit of inspiration in their midweek meals, but also people who haven't got much confidence in the kitchen. So uh, it's really a time for people to come to my house, to spend some time in the kitchen, learning a bit about seasonality, learning about ingredients, and, um, and all sort of focused around to seasonal cookery,
0: basically. And it all looks absolutely fantastic. <laughs> I think you. in particular, cinnamon buns were something mm. you, you showed off today. Yes. Before we dive into the conversation, why do you consider yourself a modern day rebel? Or why might someone else consider you as one?
1: I think uh, my approach to um life and approach to my career path has always been slightly offbeat um I've always made decisions on sort of what I wanted to do and what I felt was right rather than what I felt you know everyone else was doing um so really running against the grain and especially um starting up this uh, seasonal cookery school uh, it's certainly nothing that anyone I know has ever done before um I know people who run their own business but um a cookery school that I run from home is pretty um pretty unique so i think um it's sort of rebelling against the the norms what sort of society is expecting us to do especially
0: early on in our careers so how did that all start where You trained as a as a chef.
1: I started my sort of culinary journey uh, when I was still in my A-levels. I did a Leith's cookery course um, whilst I was doing my A-levels. And then I went to a course called Professional Culinary Arts at university. Um, And that was really teaching um, how to be a professional chef. Um, And it was fantastic. Great way to to learn without being thrown into the heat of the kitchen. Obviously, I did work in the kitchen throughout my training. But um, yeah, it was um, a great way to sort of to learn whilst being carefully managed by teachers rather than shouting chefs. So that's where my sort of professional career started and where I had my professional training as well. Um, And then I went on to various other jobs in the food industry, which then ended up leading me to starting up my own
0: business. What is it that made you decide to start your own business?
1: I wasn't particularly happy in what I was doing through all the different jobs. I was, uh, I was always looking for something that was sort of fulfillment in, especially sort of creativity wise. And um, I'm a very creative person and I really wanted to do something that I could express my creativity and in all the different jobs that I tried to do, even though they were food-based, I didn't really feel like I was exploring or expressing myself and my creativity. So um, I reached a point where I was just not, not happy with what I was doing. I wanted to do something that sort of gave me more fulfillment um, and also shared my passion in, in, with cookery. So um, that's really what um, what made me start up the business and um, tentatively dip my toe into becoming a business owner. So yes.
0: Within that journey, Was seasonal cooking something that was always part of your training, or when did you become interested in the seasonal aspect?
1: And um, the seasonal aspect really probably came up from my upbringing. We've I've always lived in the countryside, and my dad's a fantastic cook and a chef, and um, he grew all of the our veg at home, and we'd always be eating whatever was in season. And so I've been really brought up on seasonal eating, and and we did explore a little bit of seasonal cookery at university, but it wasn't a huge thing. Um, and after I left uni, I um, started up a blog um, called Alice Through the Year, which is the name of my business. And Alice of the Year is really is really all about that seasonal cooking. So it's a sort of seasonal journey through the year. Um, so my blog started off from like I'd create a different recipe each week and it was always based on what was in season at the time, what was in season that week or that month and what could you do with that ingredient um, to really make it a champion. So I, I've always had a passion for seasonality just starting from a young age, but um, especially after I left university and wanted to sort of focus on bringing seasonality
0: into the sort of forefront of, of my cooking. It's kind of in the title, but what does it actually on a practical level mean?
1: <laughs> it's really about a journey. And I think for those people who are following my uh, blog, um, it, was, it was literally me, Alice, taking you through the year taking you through the seasonality of fruit and vegetables, what was growing at that time, what was at its best at that time in the year, at that time in the month. So it was just me basically sharing my recipes, my stories, my seasonal stories with my readers. And that is exactly what I tried to replicate in my seasonal cookery lessons that I teach.
0: I think seasonality is something that's quite interesting, right? Because yes. we all still experience the season. We love talking about the weather yes. in the UK. Um, <laughs> but when it comes to fruit and veg, we, or at least it's not something I think about at all when I'm ordering, right? Is, is this currently in season? Um, and we kind of, you know, look at things, oh, this is coming from Portugal. Yes. This is coming from an X place. Why is it so important in general for all of us to kind of return to a more seasonal way of living?
1: I mean, the, the, the main aspect really is, um, you know, to try and reduce our footprint as much as possible, you know, there's there is so much that you can buy you can basically we've got a global supermarket now we can have anything any time of the year we can have strawberries at christmas um but they're flown in from somewhere you know they're flown in from mexico or peru and to me that's there's so much that's amazing that's grown in our own back gardens in our own fields that we can be championing at different times of the year we we should be celebrating what we've got what we can grow ourselves or what we can get from our farmers markets or our local shops you know there is so much that we can celebrate here we don't need to eat strawberries that are flown in there are incredible plums instead or delicious other winter fruits that you can eat um instead of getting those sort of sweet treats that we expect from far afield and um, so it, i just really want to champion what we've got growing here in our in our, in the uk so um yeah and living
0: kind of more sustainably within that absolutely
1: so sustainability is a huge thing and what really drives me to to do what i do but it's also about just you know using what we've got and and celebrating it really because it's it's at its best we've got everything throughout There's there's a season for everything here and um You know, it's really about celebrating what we what we have and making the most of it and enjoying it while it lasts. But then embracing the fact that, yeah, okay, you know, we can't eat strawberries in you know
0: November, December. Let's see what else we can eat instead and make the most of that as well. I also think it's an interesting one because, I mean, if we think of when I think of winter and Christmas, right, cinnamon, nutmeg, you've kind of got some spices that come up where that we all associate pumpkin spice, all those things. As you moved into the seasonal living, did you actually realize or did you notice that there were a lot of things that you ate that kind of you associated with them and brought that comfort and that warmth to each of the different seasons?
1: Absolutely. And I think when you're saying comfort and warmth, it's really about comfort food. So I get excited when I think, yes, autumn's coming. Let's think about delicious crumbles and pies and steamed pudding. It's really the food that you want to eat for that season reflected, especially here in the UK with our four seasons. We very much live our four seasons you know it's very cold in the winter I'm about to say it's very hot in the summer which is a big lie but um, you know it's hotter in the summer and in the summer you want to be eating fresh salads you want to be eating um, delicious green beans and you know everything that's fresh in our gardens but in the winter you want something a bit more warming a bit more sort of yeah comforting uh, through the cold winter months Um, so yeah absolutely the season the seasonal fruits that are produced and are grown here in the UK uh, really reflect what we actually want to eat during those sort of winter summer spring months
0: so then when we kind of talk about getting getting that awareness and I think if you you know you go to a farmer's market it depends on kind of what they're what they're selling but if you're going through, let's say, you know, you're in a city, you go to the supermarket. How can you actually figure out what is in season and what isn't? Because we are so used to, I think, seeing everything all the time. It's really difficult, actually. And some supermarkets do actually say
1: like what's in season at the month. They'll have a sort of area at the front um, of the aisle, which will be like what's in season this month or this week. Um, But it's really difficult to actually discern what is in season unless you know. Um, And we're not brought up anymore to know right okay strawberries are in season in the summer well i'm sure most people know that but you know when's cauliflower in season who knows that it's 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 really difficult and i think the only way that we can learn about how to eat seasonally and know what's in season is by looking up and seeing right before you go to the shops okay i can see that this winter this is a great time for root vegetables um or in the spring this is a great time for purple sprouting broccoli so it's really about doing our research is not given to us absolutely not given to us the only other thing you can do is look at your labels on the supermarket, see what is grown in in England. That's the only other way that you can really tell uh, without doing your research.
0: So location is a big kind of giveaway?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that's the main sort of giveaway
0: if you don't want to sort of be trawling the internet to see what's in season that month. So one of the other wonderful things that you have as well as kind of these these cook-alongs, you teach individuals in workshops. Nowadays, where I feel like you know, everything so readily available, especially, you know, Deliveroo, Uber Eats, uh, we can food. We all love food. Mm. But I think the preparation of food is something that has become less common. Um, and I particularly know that during lockdown, that's something I really had to teach myself is is how to kind of cook more meals and have more of a repertoire. So when it comes to cooking, what does cooking kind of mean to you? And what does, when we get back into that rhythm of preparing food for ourselves and each other, what does that kind of bring, in your opinion?
1: I mean, personally, uh, cooking for me is a huge way to sort of relax and unwind. And even if I've been teaching all day um, and I've been teaching classes back to back that week, I still want to come and prepare a meal for the evening and as I said it's just for me it's a time to unwind and I think a lot of people and the huge feedback I get when people come to my um, workshops is they say I just I find it stressful or I find it difficult to know what to cook and it sort of conjures up that meal time that meal preparation is a time of dread instead of a time of excitement and I think that's we don't have the time people don't have the time to um, set aside and prepare food which is why there is a huge reliance on convenience food what I really try and encourage in my class is right okay you've only got 15 minutes let's see what you've got in the fridge that we can make a delicious meal in 15 minutes it can be
0: done but it's you just need the know-how to do it and you also need the confidence as well it's it's almost like a, its own creativity, mm-hmm. right? It's like, I definitely have that where you look in the fridge and you're like, I have no idea how to even combine these things. And half of the things I make are quite bland because I quite frankly, just don't know how to yes. combine spices yeah. as long as I don't have a recipe to tell me. So when people are kind of at the beginning of their, let's call it cooking journey, yes. um, what are some of the things that you, you know, recommend to get over that initial dread or the eye roll of like ugh, meal planning yeah, sure. um, and actually make it something that's quite fun, enjoyable to learn more about this. I think firstly, you need to kind of come with an open mind
1: and be willing to experiment and try things and also to accept failure, because you know inevitably things are going to go wrong you'll think oh that looks nice a recipe in a book and then you'll try it it looks (laughs) nothing like the recipe you've just carefully followed i think um to keep things simple is so so important um so start off with just some basic things basic sauces basic soups and and really actually investigating things that you like to eat when you go out and seeing okay is there a recipe for pad thai or recipe for favorite curry and a simple one at that there are so many amazing resources that we have on online that we can just tap into and say easy version of blah blah blah. So I would just say set some time aside. Choose what you want to cook and make it something that's realistic. If you're a beginner cook, don't try and attempt a croque en bouche or a cherry trifle. Um keep it simple, but cook stuff that you want to eat.
0: It's interesting because I actually find that personally the things that are the most comforting mm-hmm. are actually very simple dishes. Yes because I'm from Germany, I think mashed potatoes is just <laughs> yes. some very traditional German there, anything potato. But it is true. It's kind of I've definitely had had moments where I'm like, this looks nothing like it. Yeah, absolutely. Or cooking something off Instagram and also being like, what is this? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. What's a cronut? <laughs> yes. With spices, actually. Yes. I know very little about spices, but when it comes to spices and other things that we're used to cooking, is there seasonality with them as well? Or because they're coming from other countries, How does that kind of work?
1: Yeah, so I mean, spices, I rely so heavily on spices to give an instant kick to something. There is a seasonality to spices. Absolutely, there are. But in the UK, we're very limited to what spices we have growing here. So we just do, you know, it is something that I would say my main focus is on seasonality for fruit and vegetables, rather from my spices. My spices, I kind of have as a store cupboard ingredient that I know are going to be available to me all year round. And that's really what sort of... my toolkit. My spices are always there. That's always going to be something that I fall back on to pep up something when maybe there is a bit of a lull in the season where things aren't so interesting. Spices always bring some interest to that. So I don't consider spices as sort of something that I would change depending on the seasonality, but obviously they do have a season depending on where they're from and where they're grown. So yeah.
0: There's a lot of conversations around sustainability nowadays, and I think it's so, so important It can also be quite daunting, right? You see these zero waste chefs, you see seasonality, and we talk about food waste being massive. When it comes to sustainability, what are some other things that you recommend can be helpful in the kitchen to just reduce the waste, but potentially not be so extreme that they're unattainable or daunting.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's often we feel frightened by things like zero waste and um, feel like there's nothing that we can do. We feel helpless because it's such a huge issue. But there are so many little things that we can do. And one thing I love to do is actually make the most of the vegetables. So say we've got a broccoli and we're making a delicious roast broccoli salad with a tahini dressing. Instead of just using the florets, I use all of the broccoli. Don't throw the stalk away. Or I would maybe keep the stalk um, in the fridge and I'd use it in a stir fry. So it's really kind of, like just something so simple, like using the whole vegetable or using like every bit of meat that you've been given. So I tend to buy, instead of buying chicken breasts, I'd buy a whole chicken and it's something so simple, but actually it does make a difference. You know, you're cutting down on packaging because you can get a whole chicken and get a lot more out of it than you would your two breasts. You can make stock from it. You can make um, more meals than just from your two chicken breasts. You can do all sorts of different things with it. It's not... It doesn't have to be such a big, daunting thing. There are really small steps that we can do to reduce our food waste and to try and be more sustainable. So I think it's just sort of reevaluating how we look at things and trying not to waste stuff as well. It's really about kind of reimagining things, trying to make things go that extra mile and work for you. And the satisfaction you get thinking, yes, I've had three meals out of this when I normally would have got one is just amazing. So, um, yes.
0: Yeah, kind of. I definitely feel that with more meal planning of figuring out like just the satisfaction of like, oh my God, yes, (laughs) this this all came together. This all worked out. (laughs) I think it's quite difficult though, especially living in cities because it's almost like there's this disconnect between where the food comes from. And from your stories, you seem to live in a very beautiful area. And, you know, you mentioned your dad was really inspiring in having always kind of grown that food himself. What kind of role does nature play and knowing where it comes from and you know even I don't know if you have bees or the mm-hmm. kind of local but what role does that kind of play within your cooking and your life
1: um, massively and I think as I spoke about earlier like it's something that I've just been brought up with we've been brought up in living the seasons really and especially coming from the countryside you know we, we live the farming life almost where you know when things are harvest you know when things are at their best you go picking the hedgerows for blackberries or elder flower in the summer and making cordial and jams and jellies so it's a very different life living in the countryside and I completely understand that being in the city it's very different because you're not exposed to it as much as we are in the countryside and but for me it has a huge impact and it's something that I really cherish and enjoy about living in in the countryside and because you really kind of get to appreciate what what's available to you when and obviously you know we have a garden and so we grow our own vegetables and we know when things are in season and our menu, our weekly menu revolves heavily on, well, what have we got in season at the moment, you know? So it it plays a huge part in my life and uh, I can't imagine living any other way,
0: really. Have you always lived that way? Have you always... You grew up in the countryside, but have you always lived on the countryside as well? No I mean after university I lived in
1: Bournemouth and I've went and lived uh, for various other places in Oxford but I have always tried to live seasonally and it's I'd go to this farmer's market or I'd go to a local market or I'd go to um, my supermarket and I just you know because of the way that I've been
0: brought up I know what's in season so it's very much ingrained in in who I am. So it's something that I think we can kind of as you get started, right, things things come together. I remember asparagus season was like the big one yes. for us because mm. every single restaurant would have asparagus <laughs> with potatoes, <laughs> the Germans. yeah. Um, but yeah, it does seem like that's something that, you know, you don't constantly have to look it up is as you learn, it doesn't really seem to change that much. So with getting more connected to where food comes from and what's in season and, and kind of learning how to cook and and to me, it's really reestablishing that connection, really, because I feel like life has gotten so constant We're, we're although we're cyclical human beings, it's almost like we pretend we pretend we're not. What are some of your kind of favorite seasonal seasonal meals are going to be mouthwatering, but i um, putting you mm. on the spot here. What are some of your favorite seasonal ones? Oh, wow. I mean. As as I
1: sort of mentioned before, I just get so excited for each season. I think, yes, this means that we can eat um, asparagus cannelloni or, yes, it's spring. This means that we can finally have smoked salmon and purple sprouting broccoli quiche. And in the winter, I just long for those really sort of rich and indulgent steamed uh, steak and kidney puddings with loads of root veggies. Or in the autumn, it's those blackberry and apple crumbles. I mean, nothing could be more nostalgic than that I mean in in my classes I really try to share with people recipes which are comforting home-cooked food that's just what we want to eat Um, and it's all wrapped up in seasonality which um, is great what excites
0: me about it a lot in the way that you talk about it right I'm so excited for this and so excited for that is that I feel like because so many meals are so readily available or only have X amount of meals that I know how to cook, it gets quite consistent. And after a while, it gets quite boring because I'm like, it's the same meal over and over again. Whereas with that, it it does almost feel like there's an anticipation for each season because there's something new that you haven't had for 12 months.
1: Absolutely. I, I love that. Yes, that's, that's so right. You know, you, you you look forward to, you know, your, your root vegetables because you haven't had them in however many months. And although you've been enjoying what you've had in the summer, the bounty that we have on the summer, the courgettes, the tomatoes, the peppers, you do look forward to what's to come. And you don't, you know, you've eaten so many courgettes in the summer, you don't feel sad about waving goodbye to them. <laughs> but when they come around next summer, you're like, yes, I can't wait to have my courgette courgette, pasta or whatever you're going to make. So um, yeah, it's really about that anticipation and kind of accepting what's in season at the time and making the most of it, not longing for, you know, the vegetables or whatever that you could get in the supermarket. You're not sort of holding on to that and relying on using them day in, day out.
0: How does meat actually play into that as well? Because I, again, I don't know enough about it, which is why I'm so excited to have you on this podcast. But when it comes to Fruits and vegetables kind of makes sense. But when it comes to meat and, and other forms of agriculture, yeah, is there a seasonality to that? That... There is a seasonality absolutely to some
1: things. So for fish, there's seasonality and also to some games. So um, there's a period, it's mainly through the sort of start of autumn into winter, into sort of beginning of spring, where you are allowed to eat certain games. So your pheasants, your pigeons, your venison. But in terms of the sort of meat that we eat day in, day out, chicken, beef, lamb, pork, um, obviously lamb is spring. So, but the, the chicken, beef and pork, really, there is no seasonality because that is available to us all year round. And the farmers will be rotating stock. They will be allowing us to have that availability all year round because there is such a demand for it. So seasonality with our staple meat, there isn't much of a seasonality to it. yeah
0: So tying kind of the staple meat into your sustainable way of living, because I know you, you don't particularly say, oh, we're plant based or we're this or we're that. How does that kind of play into everything?
1: We're not plant-based and we're not vegetarian, but we do really reduce the amount of meat that we eat. We only eat about two meals a week that have meat um, in them. What we'll do is we will just buy a whole chicken and we'll eat that throughout the week and that will give us X amount of, of meals or we'll freeze some of it or we'll make stock and that'll be soup. So we really try and be very intentional with the meat that we buy. We wouldn't buy, as I said, like pre-packaged chicken breasts or chicken thighs. We will we'll buy the whole bird or with our, with our beef, we'd probably choose a cheaper cut of meat that is going to last us longer so instead of just having like to sell on steaks, which would just be one meal, we would buy a pack of um, beef mints and we would uh, make that into as many meals as we could and freeze it. So we try and get the most out of the meat that we do buy. So yeah, we're we're trying to be as sustainable as possible in, in that respect.
0: Because one of the reasons I ask is I think, again, there seems to be this pride in almost living in the extremes, right? Oh, we're vegan, we're zero waste, we're all of this. But I think one of the things that's really important is just even a little helps, (laughs) like even reducing, like we don't have to be either or there's so much that we can do in just reducing waste. Cause I remember I tried to do zero waste everything in the kitchen. I was like, okay, we're going to, we're not, you know, (laughs) throw out the sponges. And it was just one of those things where after a couple of weeks, I was like, this is, (laughs) I don't really know how to live in a city without using certain products. And that realization of like, oh, actually it is just making sure that we're reducing, and we're we're living. We can live more sustainably without kind of adopting uh, these extremes. So, in terms of kind of your staples, I guess, like things that you always have, and we're so intrigued and a little nosy, I guess. So, what what are the things that you mm. always love to have on hand in your pantry?
1: Oh wow! Uh, there are there are some core things that I couldn't live without. Um, definitely my spices. So I rely hugely on um, my spices. We love Asian um, cooking, so Thai, Malaysian, um, Indian, whatever. Um, so I've always got my core spices. I'll always have cumin. I'll always have coriander. I'll always have garam masala. I always have tin tomatoes. They're a hundred percent essential of my um, <laughs> my store cupboard. Coconut milk, lentils, chickpeas. Of course, our basic pastas, uh, risotto, rice, basic rice, uh, white rice, brown rice. But really, my things that I can't live without are my are my spices.
0: Do you actually pickle anything, or is that kind of part of your? Yeah, I do love a good pickle. (laughs) I um, We do pickle and we do
1: quite unusual things. So we've had a real glut of plums this year. And so I'll do pickle plums and we will use those at Christmas to have with cold cut meats or cheeses. And I love making things like chutneys as well. So pickles are pretty essential. And again, that's something really great about the seasonality is when you've got a glut of something or you know something's in season is actually to do something with it to preserve it. So that then you can eat uh, if you're feeling a little taste of summer you can then have a delicious jar of strawberry jam on a cold february morning. So um yeah pickles and jams and preserves are a huge part of I'm getting um, very the very
0: hungry over here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Pickling isn't actually that difficult though. I've never actually no. pickled anything but it doesn't I'll seem to it be as difficult but still a great way to preserve things for a while absolutely and there's this huge sense of
1: pride with pickling you know when you've pickled made your own um pickled whatever uh pickled walnuts um or pickled cucumbers or just pick a lily chutneys there is a huge sense of pride and you've made that and you've left it to mature and that excitement to opening that first jar and you've left it there for six months and it's matured and it's got an amazing flavor and um, there's that real sense of excitement but it is so so easy and also makes a great gift as well so um no one would turn down their nose a delicious jar of homemade chutney.
0: I think with, you know, you've mentioned this a couple of times, a sense of accomplishment. One of the things that I've really noticed is that a lot of the days, because I constantly work on a computer, they all kind of feel the same and now more than ever with lockdown. But there's not that physical sense of accomplishment. I'm very mentally drained, but it doesn't feel like I've actually done something. But what I love about cooking or baking is that you actually physically create something like there is an end result and and you can see it and it doesn't kind of go away into the ether of the internet. And there is this huge sense of pride of like, this is it.
1: (laughs) I've done it. It doesn't look like the picture, but I've done it. (laughs) I've done it and it tastes okay. So that's fine. Yeah. And I think, you know, we all have creativity in us and any way that we can express it, whether it be by cooking a cake or doing a painting or sewing a skirt, we all have creativity in us. And I think if we've been doing something mundane or, you know, just spending hours and hours on a computer, like to have some outlet to express that is so, so important. And it does give us that sense of fulfillment. It certainly does for me anyway.
0: But do you think there's been a little bit of a shift with with cooking? Because I've personally noticed that I used to not cook because I was like, oh, well, I, I don't have time. You know, like cooking, it's it's not worth it. It's much cheaper to just buy something and actually work the mm-hmm. hour in terms of kind of time for, for money and, and value. I'm missing the words there. But, and it, it's now kind of through lockdown, really, that that narrative has changed a little bit of like, oh, well, mm-hmm. I've got the time. Are you seeing some of that as well? Some of those mindset shifts of, oh, actually being in the kitchen is really fun and it doesn't mean anything. Uh, other than kind of enjoying that? Yeah, I think, as I was saying, it's a real creative outlet,
1: cooking. And uh, even for someone who's got no experience, I teach um, a lovely lady who has a very high-flying job and she just wants to be taken away and have some escapism you know and cooking is that it's escapism you get into the kitchen and you're in charge of what you do you're in charge of what you create you know and that's exciting and there's definitely been a peak especially during lockdown of people getting back to the kitchen you know the amount of sourdough pictures i've seen on instagram (laughs) i don't know guilty seriously oh shame on you that's amazing and i love that and i love that there's been a shortage of yeast and flour because it means that people are getting into the kitchen and enjoying baking and embracing their terrible failures in the kitchen and trying again um, and it's been amazing i think it's been great for people to have that creative outlet again
0: yeah, it's also definitely, I mean, as I mentioned, very guilty on, on the sourdough train. But it also just makes you realize that like actually food is alive. Like I know that sounds so mm. obvious, but it wasn't yeah. until the thing started bubbling.
1: Yeah, sure. <laughs> that it's I was quite like, scary.
0: Oh, yep, okay, there are creatures, there are live creatures. This is, this yeah,
1: is yeast is a very much a living thing.
0: Yeah, we it is quite interesting how we just kind of tend tend to forget that in the mm. when we get caught up caught up in the everyday. So kind of to to wrap things up, I always like to ask five questions. The first being, what book changed your life or shifted your mindset? So
1: from a very young age, I have loved cooking. And the one book which absolutely changed my life is good old Delia Smith, the British favourite. She wrote a series um, all based on the season, so winter, summer, spring. And I have to say that no matter when in my life, I have needed to cook something. If I need some inspiration, I will turn to her time and time again. People have created so many incredible books and they come and go, but Delia is always a firm favourite for me. She has inspired me to rely on cooking seasonally and also to be inspired to use different things. Um, She was an incredible woman in like, bringing different ingredients that we've never heard of before. You know, she's written a book in 1993 that talks about Harissa and Halloumi. I mean, hello. (laughs) This woman was well... well, Halloumi was not a trend back then. (laughs) I know, right? But she bought that trend. And, you know, I, I do really feel inspired by her and her work. And... And what what really, I think, inspires me and encourages me as well is her passion to share that with other people and the way that she does it so gently and she just gives you exactly what you need to know to create that recipe. She holds your hand and leads you through each recipe and you know it's going to work. So her recipes of, and her recipe books have always been an inspiration to me and still are to this day.
0: Amazing. And on topic, inspiration, what are your sources of strength and inspiration?
1: I mean I do actually take I know this is might be a bit controversial but I take a lot of inspiration off um, social media um, and I try of course it can be a negative but on the whole like I love to see what other people are doing and um, what other chefs are doing what other blogs are doing what other influencers are doing and that keeps me fresh and keeps me thinking oh yeah I really want to try that or I haven't seen that before I want to know I want to give that a go um, and that challenges me so it definitely is a huge driver to see what other people are doing and try that out myself so I do actually rely lot on seeing what's going on at the moment and trying out those new trends. But of course, sticking to my old classics as well.
0: I actually was going to ask, I would say I'm going to do five brief questions and then I'm way too intrigued. With with (laughs) social media, I know we all love sharing our food photos and all of that. But with food photography, is what we see actually always edible? Yeah, that's,
1: that's such a good point. Food photography, I kind of struggle with a bit because at first I was like, I don't want to put a picture on Instagram that isn't real, you know? It's not like how I would put it on a table, but people eat with their eyes, right? And I don't, you kind of do have to stage it a little bit, you know? You do have to kind of put a spoon in or a delicately placed flour here on a cake or I'm just going to sprinkle a little bit of cinnamon on the side there so a lot of it is creative license you wouldn't normally do that when you go to serve it on a plate however there is nothing there that i would present to anyone that you couldn't actually eat but i do know that in professional food photography they certainly they certainly use props and uh, a different things that you can't actually eat. So like with an ice cream, I know that they some, they're photographing ice cream, I think they use hairspray, all sorts of inedible things. Uh, but none of my food is that because I'm not that highbrow. But for professional food photography, certainly not all of it is edible. I did um, a course uh, which was about uh, royal icing and fondant, um, and it was professional cake decorating. And they used to just tell us, like, for your wedding cakes, you know, you can just... Couple of put a couple of extra layers in of a polystyrene and cover you know, polystyrene foam covered in royal icing. I was like, What? No, that's such a con. We can't do that. None of my cakes have ever been polystyrene cakes, but for sure if people are doing big wedding
0: cakes, sometimes they will just use a polystyrene cake for show. Yeah, and also kind of to decrease the amount of cake but get the the full kind of full tears. Yeah, full effect. Sure, sure. So back to our five questions. The third <laughs> one being, what is your secret to success? I
1: think probably determination and not to be put off when you feel like something's gone wrong or like you've had a failure. You've got to be determined to keep going and to adapt as well. And that's one thing that I found quite difficult is that I think I've got a great idea and a great concept, but actually no one's buying it. So you've got to learn to take that on the chin and move forward. But I think determination and um, belief in yourself is so, so important. When things aren't going your way or if you'd like your business to be more successful, you're the only one who can change that. Um, and, you know, you've got to get get ahead of yourself and get a hold of yourself, sorry, and and move on and do something to change it so it's the way that you want it to be.
0: And following on from that, what is your definition of success?
1: I think success is being content, not necessarily happy, like all the time, but being content in your situation is success for me. You know, at the end of the day, when I feel like, yeah, I've achieved something and um, I'm proud of what I've done. I'm content with that. I think contentment for me is, is is success.
0: I really love that. And last but not least, what advice would you have liked to hear when you started to live life a little differently? <laughs> I think I would have really been loved to, to been
1: told you can do it you know you can do this you've got this and at the end of the day if if something goes wrong what have you got to lose like you were only going to learn from your mistakes but at least you've tried and I think that would have really helped Um, just to being given that confidence to being like it's okay you go and get it if it doesn't work out then hey it doesn't matter nothing's lost
0: wonderful if people want to find out more about you where can they find you
1: So um, various different platforms. Uh, I have my website, www.alicethroughtheyear.com, which has got all my workshops. um, And also it has access to my recipes. I have a whole stash of recipes on there as well. Seasonal, of course. Um, And then I have my Instagram and Facebook page. And my Facebook page has got links to all of my bake-along videos that I did during lockdown. So anyone can check those out. And again, that's all at Alice Year.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. This episode has left me so excited to try to live more seasonally, and I will get myself a little seasonal food guide to hang up in the kitchen. I also can't wait to try out Alice's chocolate and orange shortbread recipe, and I might even try my hand at her rhubarb and ginger jam once rhubarb is back in season. I've never tried making jam, or pickling for that matter, but I really want to give both a try. If this conversation has helped you in any way or led to some insights, please share it with your friends, colleagues, and family. I would also be incredibly grateful if you could please write a review as this helps me record more episodes and makes it easier for others to find the podcast. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to Modern Day Rebels on your favorite podcast app to make sure you don't miss the next episode. You can also follow at modern day rebels on Instagram or sign up to the newsletter to stay up to date on each week's episode. All resources mentioned throughout the episodes are in the show notes. See you in two weeks.